Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. If you weren't here last week, you need to listen to Pastor Don's message last week. And it's such a great, it's an introduction to, to Solomon and wisdom. And, and uh, I love a couple of thoughts that he said. Over the last several weeks in this summer, we've been doing a series on. Okay, now y'all are sounding like the Lafayette campus. Isn't that good? Okay, we're doing a series on, on wisdom. And we primarily taken it out of the book of Proverbs. And the reason why we've taken it out of the book of Proverbs is because the wisest man that ever lived, who came from earth, not from heaven, because the wisest person that ever walked on earth was Jesus, but he came from heaven. And that's actually what wisdom is. Wisdom is heaven's perspective before you get there. Wisdom is an eternal perspective before you reach eternity. And so Solomon, you say, Pastor, how did he become so wise? Well, his daddy was David, the giant killer. Imagine having to live up to that reputation. Your daddy was a giant killer. He killed the biggest giant in known history when he was 14 or 15 years old. He united all the 12 tribes of Israel. He expanded their territories and left a legacy that even thousands of years later, when Jesus would come, he would be called Jesus, son of David or descendant of David. And Solomon had to inherit that mantle. It was overwhelming to him. And so when his father died and he knew that he would be king, he went to the house of God and prayed. And here's what he said. Lord, I I don't know what to do. I'm not like my daddy, the giant killer. I'm not good with the slingshot. I have not expanded. I'm not a man of war. I haven't united people. But Lord, I ask you, give me the gift of wisdom so I will know how to lead your people. Give me wisdom. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Solomon, because you asked for, and not for a long life, and not for riches, and not for honor, and not for the lives of your enemies, because you've asked instead for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you riches. I'm going to give you honor. And I'm going to give you the lives of your enemies so there will never have been a king before you or after you. Wisdom is a powerful, powerful thing to have. The truths out of Proverbs. And how many chapters are there? 31. If you're wise, you might read a chapter a day of Proverbs. Because it tells you things that still are so incredibly, powerfully, eternally true. Let me give you one. How many of you have ever loaned money to someone? How many of you lost the money? How many of you lost the friend? Of course you did. That's why Solomon wrote thousands of years ago not to loan money. You say, well, Pastor, what should I do? If someone's in need, give it to them. If it comes back to you, you're blessed. And if not, you've given as unto the Lord, you'll reap in another place from the Lord himself. So, so give it. Guess what else he said in Proverbs? Don't co-sign 
Don't co-sign. Do you know that banks will tell you that 80 to 85% of the people that end up co-signing for someone have to end up paying the debt for that person? Well, you don't have to do that. All you got to do is listen to Solomon. He said that thousands of years ago. So today, I'm going to talk to you about a very powerful and prevalent subject today. I want to talk to you about mental health, emotional health. But how many of you know that your mental and emotional health are determined by your spiritual health? That if you're not spiritually healthy, matter of fact, Proverbs says, a wounded spirit dries up the bones. What does that mean? That means if you're bitter and you're angry, it's going to affect your mental and emotional health and your physical health. So your spiritual health, your spiritual health determines your mental health and your emotional health. You say, well, Pastor, why are you saying all of this? Well, it's simple. Come on, Cajuns, we got a term for all of this. Well, what happens when someone boudets? Now, how many of you know what boudetting is? You go, well, Pastor, I ate some boudet from Best Stop. No, that's not boudet, that's... One is in sausage, the other one's in your heart. Well, what does what what boudet mean? To cry, to pout, to isolate, to withdraw. All of those things could really be summed up into sulking, pouting, withdrawing, but really it could be summed up in the term isolate, to isolate yourself. What happens internally? What goes on inside of you when you start isolating yourself? What kind of thoughts go through your mind? What kind of emotions are you feeling? What kind of reasoning is going on? Is it good? Listen to the wisest man that ever lived in Proverbs 18.1. Come on, read this with me. Whoever isolates himself, okay, seeks his own desire and he breaks out against what? Now think about that. When you think of somebody isolating, you don't think of breaking out. Okay, that seems like you'd have to do that with people around you. But it's more than just you. When we isolate, Solomon tells us that we seek our own desire and we break out against something. We break out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 18.1, the Passion Translation says it like this. An unfriendly person isolates himself and seems to only care about his own issues for his contempt of Sound judgment makes him a what? A recluse. As a matter of fact, there is a mechanism in each one of us that when we're in a crisis and we get in the flesh, we do one of three things. Freeze, fight, or flight. That's one. Okay, the other one. The other one is, why are you listening to me? Now, I'm not going to ask you to point to the person that boudets. You can see them now. They're boudeting when I said this. They just said they went. 
Oftentimes, as men, we can do that. Oftentimes, as men, our wives are the talkers, so we're the boudeers. If your husband boudeers, stand up and yell. No, don't do that right now. That would be terrible. (laughs) Why is isolating so unhealthy? Why is isolating so unhealthy? Because, I mean, all of us love a little time by ourselves. How many of you like your own company? And you don't mind just being off by yourself for a bit. I mean, they, for all of us, if you're wired that way, reading, getting off by yourself, maybe fishing or hunting by yourself. or I mean, a little time alone, there's nothing wrong with that. There is something wrong with isolating. Having a little time to recreate, having a little time to gain some mental and emotional margin, that's healthy. Isolating is unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Why is it so unhealthy? There was one person only ever put in a perfect environment. Only one. He was in the Garden of Eden. And when God created everything that was perfect for him, God looked down and said, the world is perfect, trees are perfect, air is perfect, sun's perfect. He went through all of the different things. He's in paradise. And then God said this in Genesis 2, 18. And God said, it is not good for a man to be what? It's not good for a man to be alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. I'll make a helper, a what? Companion. Well, what is, what is God saying to us? We were fashioned for fellowship. We were created for community. We were made for one another. We were created for, for intimacy. The word intimacy is into me see. We were created to have people. Isn't it amazing how you can be with an old friend? You can be tired and everything. They come over. You just start sharing your heart and how you doing and what's going on and how my mom and them and what happened. And I mean, you after five minutes, ten minutes, they leave. You just can. Can I share a counselor's secret with you that they don't want you to know? Do you know that most people, and there's more counselors available. I'm not against counseling. I've had it. Do you know that most people don't have someone that is a true friend, so they have to pay someone 80 to $150 an hour to sit down and to act like they're concerned and to listen to them? Remember when people used to do that with their mother or grandmother? A brother, a papa. Hey, well, here's what I'm going through. I mean, it's just, things are tough. And have you ever experienced anything? Oh, you went through the depression? What was that like? Oh, well, we're doing a whole lot better than that. Oh, really? Well, how'd you make it through? You did what? You just kept doing what was right, and even though it didn't seem like it was good, things got better? Yeah, okay. Do you remember when people did that? But people today isolate. Solomon tells us what happens when we isolate. Listen to what he says. We seek our own desire. We care only about our own issues, or it seems. We have contempt against sound judgment. Sound judgment. As a matter of fact, he says we break out against it. We become reclusive. Or again, we isolate. So if someone is isolating and they're all by themselves... And Solomon says they're breaking out against all sound judgment. Where is that happening? 
If there's no one with them but them, who are they talking to? Who? They're talking to the unholy trinity. Me? Myself? I can't believe you said that. I know. I can't believe anybody. I mean, you have to look at you. Have to, I'm going to tell you something. You would never do that. I can't even believe they acted that way. Because I'm going to tell you something. They, 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 I should have given them a piece of mind because I'm going to tell you. I'm going to. But look at me. The unholy trinity attracts another voice. He's called the accuser of. You know, the devil's never called the accuser of the evil people. Like the devil doesn't come to you and go, stay away from nasty Nikki. <laughs> stay away from drunk Don. The, the devil doesn't, you know what he comes in? Can you believe that Christian talk? Like, God, I can't believe it. The church hadn't called you. Everything's been going on. They, they should have known what was going on. The, the enemy only accuses the people that want to help you, not the people that want to hurt you. And when you isolate, you turn up the volume of me, myself, and I, and the volume of the enemy, and you rage. What do you rage against? All sound judgment. Do you know what the opposite of that is? This same Solomon tells us, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. In the multitude of counselors, I can either isolate and figure it out on my own. When I hear so many young people say that, I want to choke them. They'll go, well, what are you doing? I don't know. I'm just going to try to figure it out. And I want to I stop and look at them and go, Let me ask you, do you think you're the first person to ever go through what you're walking through? What's the answer to that? As a matter of fact, there have been people that have been going through this for years One of my mentors used to say it like this. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new. Solomon said it like this. There's nothing new under the sun. The answers to everything that you will walk through are in this book. And either you can see someone who experienced it and did it the right way, or you can receive the commandment to do it the right way because they did it the wrong way. Everything that's in the Bible, God doesn't want you to do. There are some things that are just descriptive, not prescriptive. Does that make sense? So, isolating is unhealthy because we were created for relationships. And when we do this and we become reclusive, we isolate and we turn up this voice that rages against sound judgment. I'm going to share something with you that you need to know. And so often we just take it for granted and we don't define it. I often say to someone who comes to me with the problem, and I go, well, that's the enemy. They go, are you sure? I go, absolutely. Look, the Word says it is, because if I can define it, I can defend it. If I can define that, I can defend it. So, the enemy, the devil, is the only living entity alive that can never, ever be forgiven. He is condemned. Con chili con queso. El Paso Mexican restaurant. Okay, chili con queso, the word con means with. Chili con queso means chili with cheese. Condemnation, it means with damnation. There's only one 
living entity that is damned and can never, ever, ever be forgiven, and that is the devil. So guess what he tells you? You can't forgive them. You can't forgive that. And then he comes to you and says, you're not forgiven. Why? Because he's not. And he wants to throw up on you the very thing that he is experiencing himself. Now, one of the amazing things about the Bible is, if you want to sometimes know what something means, go back to the first time it was ever mentioned in the Bible. It's called the biblical law of first reference. When was something first mentioned? Today, I want to use that principle for this word isolation. And I want to show you the first time the word isolation is ever used. It's found in Leviticus 13, 33. Listen to what it says. He shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale. Another seven days. Well, what are they talking about, Pastor? Well, look down a few verses. It'll tell us. Luke 13, 45. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head shall be bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry out, unclean, unclean, and he shall be unclean all the days. He has sores, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and shall dwell alone. His dwelling will be outside the camp. What is he talking about? He's going to be isolated. Well, what is this dwell alone, separate, isolate? What are they talking about? Who are these people? Say it loud. They are lepers. That's who they are. The first time isolate is ever mentioned is connected to leprosy. Because when you got leprosy, what they would do is leprosy was contagious. So they would take you and they would put you outside in a leper colony. And you could never come within a hundred yards of someone who didn't have leprosy. And anyone that came anywhere remotely close to you, you would have to yell out. Because of how contagious leprosy was. Now, how many of you knew that the longest standing leper colony in the United States used to be right here in Louisiana. How many of you knew that? Does anybody know where it was? Where? Carville, Louisiana. The Sunshine Bridge. And there they had a colony. And if you've ever read the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, it was written by one of the doctors there who spent his life studying what they now call Hansen's disease, It's actually leprosy. Do you know that there's still no cure for leprosy to this day? They can give you medicine for it. But if you stop taking the medicine, it will come out and begin to manifest. So, Pastor, what is leprosy? What is leprosy? Well, you may not know this, but I am a leper expert. Not only am I an expert in Mexican food. I'm a leper expert. How many of you didn't know that? Do you know how I know? My grandmother, my aunt, and my uncle all had leprosy. And in Houston, when I was about 10 or 11 years old, my uncle said to me, he said, Hey, Jacob, 
He said, do you want to go to a place where you can fish all you want? You can play ping pong all you want, play pool all you want? I said, yeah. And he said, well, Wilita, that's mama, that's your grandmother in Spanish. Wilita is going to go and I'm going to take her to Carville because she has to go and get regular checkups for her leprosy. And if you go with us, you can fish, you can play ping pong, you can play pool, you can swim. I said, all right, I'll go. Now, you know you're poor if a Mexican vacation is a visit at a leper colony. <laughs> exactly what it was. So we get there in Carville, Louisiana. I'm 11 years old. And, and they say, well, in order to come, there's just one thing you have to do. You've got to get a leprosy test. I'm like, hi. I'm 11 years old. I don't know what a leprosy test is. So we go in, we go see the doctor, and they take my ear like this. I'm in a line of people, and they pull out a razor blade, and they nick my ear. When they did, I went, ow, that hurt. And they said, be glad. I said, why? They said, because most people don't even feel it. I said, they don't even feel it? He said, no. Because what leprosy does is you get an infection, you get a bite, you get a cut, and your body doesn't have the ability to heal itself. So any little bite turns into an open sore and begins to spread, kills the nerves, and ultimately rots that place in your body. So while I was there playing ping pong, I was playing ping pong with people that had three fingers. Because... They got a cut or a bite or an infection, and they didn't take their medication. I was playing ping pong with the man. Half of his nose was gone. And I asked, I asked my uncle afterwards, I said, what happened to him? He said he didn't take his medication. He didn't take his medication. What leprosy does is it opens wounds and keeps them open, and it spreads, and it's contagious. Why do you think isolation and leprosy are mentioned together? Because that's exactly what happens when you start holding on to bitterness and resentment. It starts spreading. Have you ever been around somebody bitter? And they just, Ugh! and you know what they want to do? They want the infection to spread to you. And it really doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't even matter what you have. You can be rich or you can be poor. Why is this so relevant? Because isolation causes you to become a spiritual leper. A spiritual leper. Now, all of us have been hurt in one way or another. How many have ever been hurt? How many have been hurt by people in church? How many have been hurt by people you're related to? I always am amazed by that. People go, I just can't go back to church. Why? They hurt me. Anybody in your family ever hurt you? Yeah. Just quit showing up. Thanksgiving. Because here's what the enemy's plan is. Look at me. God, this is so powerful, y'all. This is so powerful. You see, we all get hurt. I talk to people all the time, Pastor, I don't, I've just been hurt in church. I just don't want to be hurt. That's why I'm going to go back. I've just been hurt. I can guarantee you a way that you will never, ever, 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 ever be hurt. Would you like to know it? 
Here it is. Number one, don't have any friends. That way your friends can't hurt you. Number two, don't get married. All the women, amen, preach that. Number three, do not have children. Because <laughs> they scar you here when you bring them out and here and here until they get to where they need to be. And all the parents said, amen. amen. They do. Look right here. Pain is the price you pay for love. There's not another way. Do you know how I know that? Because the one who loves us the most went through the most pain. He still has scars on his hand and he still has bruises and rips upon his back. Look at me. But there's a difference between a wound and a scar. You, you, you know what a wound does? A wound makes something that happened to you, a wound is open. It stays open. It's oozing. It's infected. When people get around you, they can catch it. Anybody gets close to that subject, you start screaming. Does this sound like anybody you know yet? But you know what? It keeps a wound that happened 10 years ago feeling like it happened 10 minutes ago. Because you can't be a healthy Christian and have wounds. You can be a healthy Christian and have scars. Scars are wounds that have now been healed. That's what they are. But when you isolate, you just cover up. And what you don't realize is you keep the wound open. If we had some doctors here today, they would tell you when you get in a wound, the first thing they do is they put ointment on it, sew it up if it's that open, put ointment on it, and then they cover it. But after covering it a little bit, you open it up or else it won't, it won't heal. How many people do we know that walk around, I've been hurt, don't touch me here. And what they do is they keep it from being a scar and instead they keep it an open wound. When God heals me, it could have happened a week ago, but it's like it happened 10 years ago. If it happened 10 years ago and I don't allow God to heal that, then it's like it happened 10 minutes ago. When I isolate, I'm hurt. I withdraw. I self-process and I talk to three, my three unholy alliance, the three unholy trinity. Me, myself, and oh, the enemy, too. He jumps in. He jumps in. When I do that, the enemy becomes the inner me. The raging. Let me tell you this. Relational conflict Marriage, children, friends is inevitable. Isolation is optional. 
That's why the Bible says if someone hurts you, what do you do? Pray, forgive them, and go to them. Jesus is talking. He said, if you're in church and you're about to give an offering, before you give the offering, if you remember there's something in your heart against somebody, you go make it right with them. Then you come back and give your offering. We say, give online, then go deal with it. That's a joke. Relational conflict is inevitable, but allowing it to lead to isolation is optional. Every one of us have been hurt by the people that love us the most. Let me tell you how prevalent this is. You, you got to hear this. Do you know what's happened over the last 18 months? People have isolated. Do you know what's happened in the process? Look right here. 90,000 people have overdosed on drugs in the last 12 months. 90,000. The majority of them, unlike COVID, they weren't people at risk. They were unhealthy. The majority of them are 18 to 35 years old. Because they isolated. They isolated. Listen to this. This is the Cigna Insurance Survey of 2018. I can't imagine what it would read like now. Nearly half of all Americans reported that they always feel lonely or left out. 50%. One in four Americans says they rarely or never feel like people understand them. Two in five Americans sometimes or always feel their relationships are not meaningful. Only around half of Americans, 53%, have a meaningful in-person social interaction on a weekly basis. Now, what you just think about this? You can pick up a cell phone and talk to 2 billion or more people anywhere out of the 8 billion people on earth, and it may be 3 or 4 billion now. You can FaceTime. Isn't that crazy? Michelle and I, after we got married, we moved to be with a man who would mentor me named Leonard Ravenhill. And we moved there to be with him. Back then, Michelle would would call home all the time. How many of you here are maybe 30 or under? How many of you are 30 or under? Raise your hand. Okay. Shut up! You don't know anything. I just thought I'd share that with you. Do, Do you know she would call her mama... And you know how much it costs then on the phone to call on the landline? Look, 25 to 50 cents a minute. You know what we ended up doing? Moving back to Lafayette because I had a house payment I was paying as a phone bill. And we moved back to Lafayette. You can FaceTime, Instagram, TikTok, my space, your space, everybody's space. Okay, you, you can do all of that at 24 hours a day and access anybody. And this generation is the loneliest generation in history. Listen to this statistic. Generation Z, people 18 to 22 have the highest loneliness score in history. They can just go on to 
Snapchat and see their friends talking to them, even if they're asleep. And they're lonely. Here's the amazing thing. Okay, almost 50% of them are, are, are lonelier than any other generation's ever been. And do you know who the healthiest emotionally and least lonely are? People 72 years old and older. Generation Z, the greatest generation ever. Now, what you think about that? Old folks at a retirement center. Mama, rocket on the chair. Spitting in the spit tune. Half a mustache and a goatee. Okay, they are healthier. Not being able to almost commit. To turn on the TV, they got to call their great-grandchildren over. Watch this. And they are the healthiest generation. And 18 to 22 are the most unhealthy emotionally and mentally. When I'm hurt or misunderstood, I can be closed. I can be surfaced. I can avoid others. But it always leads to the same place. No matter who you are, it leads to isolation. This can happen to you. It could happen to me. In the last 18 months, the enemy has wreaked havoc on the world. He has. He has. Because they've been isolated. And God created us for community. I'm going to share something with you you're going to find hard to believe. March a year ago, one year ago, our Savior's Church in our five campuses, it's not counting like Charles Jennings, Eunice Crowley, all the other things, just our five campuses here in Acadiana had 8,000 people that attended in March. Today, the average Sunday is 4,500 people. Well, what happened to 3,500 people, Jacob? It's very simple. It's sheep, shepherd, wolf, 101. If the wolf wants to get the sheep, the first thing that he does is he gets them away from the shepherd. The second thing he does is he gets them away from the flock. Because if the wolf comes in the flock, the sheep going, going, bah, bah, and the Shepherd runs out because he knows something bad is going on. Okay? And he either kills or runs off the wolf. But what happened when the sheep gets away from the shepherd and they get away from the flock? What happened then? The enemy has them, the wolf, all to himself. Our marriage is falling apart at a rate no one has ever even conceived possible. In the last 10 weeks, our church has had a part of doing eight overdose funerals. In Acadiana, word from the DA that spoke to me 10 days ago. One to two people OD every day in Acadiana. Can you imagine if that got 10% as much attention as COVID? Can you imagine that? 
I'm not minimizing COVID. I'm just saying these are people that are dying 18 to 30 years old. They're ODing. Last Monday, I preached a funeral for a 31-year-old. His beautiful wife and four-year-old daughter sitting on the front row. And I could tell you story after story after story, but the real truth is they got away from the shepherd. They got away from the flock. And can I say something to you? You're the flock. Are you the flock? Okay. Shepherds don't produce sheep. Shepherds feed sheep. Shepherds lead sheep. Shepherds protect sheep. You know who produces sheep? Sheep produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. So you know who needs to be calling your friends that aren't in church? You. You know who needs to be reaching out to them and letting them know that you care and that you miss them and where are they and are they okay and can you do something for them and do they need a meal and are they afraid of COVID and has the enemy lied to them about the color crisis that people don't care for them if they're a different color or a different economic background or it's the rich people in Lafayette that don't care anything but the poor people in New Iberia. All of those are lies of the enemy. And it's your responsibility to let those people know. Or else the enemy wins in isolation because they are raging against all. They hear them. I can't believe they said they're not going to take it. If you've been touched by that, I think we all have been touched by the leprosy of isolation. I got good news for you. Matthew 8, 1 says this, And after he came down from teaching on the hillside, massive crowds began following him. Suddenly, a, a leper walked up to Jesus. Okay, remember, he wasn't supposed to get within 100 yards of Jesus. So he's yelling out, unclean, 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 unclean. And he's coming to Jesus, and Jesus is just standing there walking closer to him, not further away. Aren't you glad he always walks close to us when nobody else wants to touch us? And he walks closer, and everybody's going, the religious people, he can't do this. He's going to be contaminated. He can't teach in the temple anymore. The law of Moses says you can't. He's going to have to isolate himself. You can't. But you know why? Jesus wasn't bothered. Listen to what he says. He walks up to Jesus and says, you have the power, and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. And Jesus reached out his, but can you see the people standing by? Don't do it. He's too close. You're going to get it. And he reaches out and he touches him. You know why Jesus is never afraid to touch you in the middle of your mess? Because he made you, and every time he touches you, he remakes you into what you were created to be from the very beginning. Of course I will heal you. Be healed. And instantly he was healed. Have you been touched by the leprosy of isolation? Has the voice of the enemy been turned up? For you. Listen to me. 
This isn't a message today I'm sharing with you. This is a revelation that I've had a front row seat to watching and heard thousands and thousands of stories. This is happening all across America. And Solomon tells us how we can defeat it. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus for every single individual here because we have all been touched by this. There isn't one person that hasn't been touched by this. Father, we ask you in the name of Jesus to come and do what only you could do. Touch every heart. Touch every heart. Now look up at me a moment. I want to give you just a little simple lesson. If you can get the keyboard player to come. I'll just give you a simple, simple lesson. Okay? Pastor, how, how do I keep the wound closed? And how do I keep the enemy from yanking off the scab? It's through spiritual breathing. Let, let me explain that. Let me explain that. How many of you realize there is temptation around us everywhere we go? When I was a young person, if you wanted to see something immoral, you had to go and pursue it. You might not believe this, but if you went to the Circle K, if you wanted to see an unclothed woman, it was behind the counter. It had a paper bag in front of it. And you would get your cousin to distract the cashier. And your short nephew would sneak back there and grab the magazine, stick it in the back of your jacket, and you'd go walking out like this. That's why we walked in the hood like this. Today, you don't have to look for it. It's pursuing you. You look down at your computer, boom, it pops up. Where did that come from? You're driving down the street. Where did that come from? And the enemy is constantly throwing dirt on your mind, on your reasoning, on your emotions to try to get you to be dirty just like this world is. How do you stay clean, Pastor? Look at me. How many have ever had a bad thought come to your mind? Okay, good. The rest of y'all... Pray for me because you're so holy. I need to know what your, your secret is. Okay, you, you're way beyond your pastor. When a thought comes to your mind, okay, someone said if you plant a thought, you reap a deed. If you plant a deed, you reap a habit. If you plant a habit, you reap a character. If you plant a character, you reap a destiny. It all starts with the thought. That's the seed. So when that thought comes up there, first thing I do, Lord, I wash that away in the name of Jesus. I thank you. I'm washed. It's like breathing. It's like breathing. <sighs> wash me from that, Lord, I, I, in Jesus' name. Cleanse me and forgive me in Jesus' name. Every time it comes, Lord, wash that from me in Jesus' name. Forgive me in Jesus' name. If I dwell on too long, it's gone from a temptation to a th- sinful thought in my mind. Lord, forgive me and cleanse me. Well, what happens if I don't do that? Then it goes from being a thought to a to a deed okay that's what you do constantly father wash me cleanse me wash me cleanse me okay 
what do you do when you've been hurt? Lord, I forgive him like you've forgiven me. I forgive them and release them like you've forgiven me. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Lord, I release them and forgive them. 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 It's spiritual breathing. It's just spiritual breathing. It needs to be a habit in your life, just like breathing. How I many you need forgiveness every day? Then you need to give it the same way. Now let me pray for you. Father, today, this message has been an impartation, not just a message. It's been a revelation. I pray, Father, that you would expose every error we've isolated in our lives so we can help those who the enemy is using the same strategy on them. Today, just take a deep breath with me. We receive your forgiveness and we release all of those who have heard us, where the enemy's voice has been turned up, where I've listened to me, myself, and I, that unholy trinity, and the enemy has engaged me, accusing those. Maybe it was something they did. Maybe it was something they didn't mean to do. Maybe they meant it. It doesn't matter. You still call me to release them and forgive it. Today, today, we receive this impartation. We receive it, Father. Would you just say that with me? I receive this, Lord. I receive it, Lord. And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But that's not what Jesus said you had to do. For your sin to be forgiven, for you to come into relationship with God, you must be born again. When Adam and Eve sinned, everyone died spiritually with them and you were spiritually dead until the moment you're born again and you can't know God. Who is a spirit? You say, Pastor, what, what do I need to do for that to happen? A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. That he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. Somebody's going to die for your sin. Either he did or you will. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin through repentance. That's what repentance means, to turn away from sin and to turn to God. You say, Pastor, how can I do that? Today you can pray a prayer to be born again. Today you can begin your spiritual journey. Today, right there at your seat, we won't embarrass you. No one's looking around but me, but on the count of three, if you've never prayed to be born again, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up real high and put it back down, and I'm just going to pray for you right at your seat, right where you are. On the count of three, if that's you, raise your hand. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. And today's your day to be spiritually born again and to have a new beginning. 
Now, if that's you, when I say three, raise your hand. Three. Raise your hand. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud with those who raise their hand. We're going to join you. We're all going to pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe it on the cross. You took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.